You're listening to Bloom After Baby, the podcast. We're your hosts, Rachel Daggett and Jen Jordan. We're a therapist and a doctor and and both moms of two. We're here to discuss the mental health and wellness needs that are unique to motherhood. From confusing hormone swings to your expanding body to boundaries in tricky relationships, we'll give you the information you need to experience motherhood in a way that feels good to you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Let's get to it. You're listening to A Bit Frazzled, the podcast with Bloom After Baby. And on today's episode, we're exploring the massive motherhood transition. Um, We're looking at relationship dynamics and changes after baby, including the topic of the division of labor and the invisible load of motherhood. And we have an incredible guest for you guys today. She's someone who's really leading this conversation around um, the invisible load and um, in the mental health space around this issue. So Rachel, you want to introduce Dr. Cassidy? Yeah, Dr. Cassidy Freitas is joining us today. She is a mom of three and a licensed marriage and family therapist with her own group private practice in San Diego, California. She specializes in trauma and loss, relationships, perinatal mental health, and she also coaches therapists who want to take the leap into private practice, which is where I initially found her. Um, She also has her own podcast called the Holding Space Podcast which I have followed and admired for many years. And I'm so, so excited to share her wisdom and her soul with you all. I uh, highly suggest that you send this conversation to your partner and let it be an opportunity to communicate with each other with open hearts. I know for me, Jen, this conversation came at such a timely moment in time for me as uh, Sean and I have really had some oh shit moments in the last week just around marriage after baby and it's so so hard. I'm personally feeling super convicted about my own role in stewing in resentment and not always communicating enough with him when I'm feeling burnt out, overloaded and not always leading with love, not always accepting his bids for connection or his offers to help because I will speak for myself, but I know a lot of women relate to this of feeling like, well, I'm the only one that does it right, or I do it all. And we kind of start to just sit on a high horse a little bit and be offensive and defensive with each other. And that's where the resentment cycle really can become addictive. So this convo really spoke to me this week. What about you, Jen? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Same. Definitely the stage that we're in too, with our kids being kind of similar ages. I think we're going through some of those relationship strains that you face in early parenthood. And Dr. Cassidy, I mean, for everyone listening, I think she really can be such a great resource. I found her um, early after my second daughter, and she was one of the first people I started following on social media, one of the first like perinatal mental health accounts. And she is such a great resource because she really brings mental health teachings to the social media platform. Things that are really like difficult concepts, tough conversations, uncomfortable conversations, uncomfortable topics to face with your partner and something that you really need a lot of guidance. And it can be really hard to find that professional guidance. She is a professional, but she meets that professional expertise background with the social media platform and does such a good job of helping to break down some of those really tough topics using that tool and that resource. So I would definitely recommend that everyone check out her Instagram and then also her podcast, like you said, Rach, that she has a great podcast where she discusses these topics 
too. So we're so lucky to have her with us today and we're excited to share her insights. So let's get to the conversation. So Dr. Cassidy, thank you so much for being being here today. We have both been following you for a long time and for sure reference you a lot in our clinical practices. And then you've really been someone we've turned to yeah, professionally and in our motherhood journey. And I think with the personal component, so both of us being a family medicine physician and a therapist, did not expect to be so unprepared for the transformation that um, you know is becoming a mother. And so when we went through that transition, both of us were really surprised that our background, our experience, and then also our perinatal, our maternal health care didn't prepare us for that very well. And so we started turning more to social media. And that's where you really became someone that we found and turned to for a lot of our education and information around this topic. So we'd love to hear more about your career trajectory, kind of pivoting to that focus, and then also how you've decided to use social media as one of your main platforms for educating. Yeah, it's really it's really fun and really meaningful to reflect back on that whole process of getting there and that journey. But first, thank you so much for having me and for sharing that um, because sometimes, you know, you, we create content or we put something out there and it's hard to always know who is on the other side. <laughs> is anybody out there listening? But yeah. I'll keep doing it because even if it just touches one person as mm-hmm. it as you shared that it it impacted and was meaningful and touched you, then it's it's worth it. So mm-hmm. so yeah. My journey into this specialization came with my experience of becoming a mom, as I think it does for so many. I, to my oldest, she's now 12. And so over a decade ago, I was in my master's program. And at the time, I was getting my hours seeing clients in a collaborative healthcare setting. So in a family medicine clinic at UCSD. I was working collaboratively with the doctors and the nurses. So folks were coming in to them and then they were fortunately getting educated on mental health and the support of a therapist. And so they would do like warm handoff to us as therapists in the clinic. And it was really, really beautiful sort of introduction into what collaborative healthcare should really look like and could look like. And so I got pregnant in that last year of my master's program. I walked across the stage getting my degree with – she was there with me in my belly. And and then she was born a few months later. And I really thought I knew what was going to go down. <laughs> like I was like, I am a therapist. I, I, I work w- – I was working with folks who were expecting in postpartum in the family medicine clinic. And I was like, I know the symptoms of anxiety and depression. Like I know that, you know, having kids can be hard on a marriage. Um, but and, and I had I had done some of my own work at that point in time, but not a ton of like really, really deep work. I, I think that I was kind of doing what I had always really done to kind of keep myself protected and safe was through school. So I just, I really relied on education. And so I I had learned a lot of things. I, I took the baby CPR class. I took a birth class. 
I made a plan, right? Like I had a plan for what I wanted the birth to look like. I did a lot of, you know, research on what I needed to put on my registry and I think that now I understand that there were a lot of my uh, perfectionism, kind of like smart kid, straight A student parts of me that were showing up in my plan for birth in this in in, in this way because I was like, that's how I'm going to stay safe. This thing feels really brand new, and like what I know what I know how to do how I know how to do things is by preparing and studying and taking the classes and like having the perfect registry and like, I am going to, I'm going to A plus this birth, <laughs> like this <laughs> postpartum, right? Yeah. Um, and with all that, right? Like with perfectionism, with these sort of high achievement kind of uh, dr- drives comes some rigidity too, right? And so I had a pretty rigid idea of what I wanted birth to look like. And mm-hmm. And I really focus on that, right? Like this, this, mm-hmm. that's something that I could focus my energy on and right. Then all the rest of it, right? Like breastfeeding, like that's natural, right? Like I always wanted to be a mom. I've babysat <laughs> before. I've pulled all nighters at school. Like these, these things, like it's all, I'll get, I'll be fine. Right. So I, I hired a doula that also shared some of my rigid views of what the birth was going to look like. And I went into it again with these rigid ideas and, and a lot of pressure and a lot of high expectation. And then things hit the fan and it didn't mm-hmm. turn out as I anticipated. It ended up being an emergency cesarean belly birth mm-hmm. that I call it now. Mm-hmm. And it was traumatizing. I remember the doula, she she left because I had hired her because she had these, you know, I've never had a C-section, very quote unquote natural birth, vaginal birth, right? And now I understand there's so many beautiful natural ways for a baby to come into the world. And and that was through my belly. But I, she left and I remember the look on her face. That was a part of the trauma for me when she, when I said just, when I finally said, let's do the C-section, Right. And I was so exhausted. And when they pulled her out, my husband was like, she's here. Look at her. And I I turned away. Like I couldn't even look at her. I couldn't even open my eyes. And that part of the birth and the look on my doula's face and like my husband saying, look at her, look at her. And like his anxiety of like, why aren't you looking at her? Um, Those two. Mm. Uh, There was was a lot of – uh, EMDR therapy work later on around those yeah. experiences. And and then that kind of, you know, set this stage for what what came after, right? There, I was like, okay, well, I really felt like I my body had failed me and I had failed her in this first experience. And so the way that I coped with that was those parts of me, the perfectionism, the rigidity, the need for control, anxiety. So always being on alert for the bad thing that's going to happen just ramped up. So now I'm struggling with a traumatic birth experience that I that just quickly got brushed under the rug to now cope with, well, I failed that. So now I need breastfeeding. I became so rigid about the feeding experience and journey. And was not open to supplementing, right? It was like, this This is going to work. And then I got mastitis and then I had plug ducts and then she was colicky and then we weren't sleeping and my anxiety just oh, was really, 
it really took a hold of me and kept me. I had intrusive, scary thoughts. I struggled to leave the house. My partner, who my husband, who had a history of depression, was experiencing what we didn't know at the time was, but now we understand, was postpartum depression as a non-birthing partner, mm-hmm. which is a real thing. And so we're both struggling, and my my identity as a therapist kind of kept me from getting support. I felt a lot of shame. I, I'm struggling. I can't let anybody see this. This was not part of the plan. This is not the identity as a mom and the image of a mom. And I, I felt like I wanted to keep my baby safe, but she felt like a little alien to me. I didn't know her. <laughs> Duh, right? I don't know her. Any relationship, the beautiful, most beautiful love stories take time, but that just wasn't what I expected. So eventually got help and, uh, and, and really took the risk. It felt like a risk of sharing with someone that I was struggling Mm -hmm. and to have them a friend, right? And have them look at me and say, oh my gosh, you too. And to be like, wait, wait, hold on. I'm not the only one. Like just that opened up the door for me to get support, for me to open up to my partner, for him to open up to me. Just the antidote, right? was like the meaningful risk of opening up and connection and feeling less alone. So I ended up going back to get my PhD because I wanted to do more with what I was discovering about postpartum depression in the partner, like the experience of anxiety, which I was not assessed for. I was assessed for depression, but not anxiety, right? Like the experience of traumatic births and just how this impacts the whole system, And so I went back to get my doctorate and did all my research on the postpartum experience. I published research on postpartum depression in dads because that was not something that was in the research. It was definitely a place where we needed more information. And and then I graduated and I got my license and I was like, okay, what do I do with this now? And let me back up a little bit that actually while I was in my PhD program, I was on Instagram and social media as a blogger because I I was able to activate my creative identity through that. So for example, I partnered with Pottery Barn Kids once and Mm -hmm. I, I... organized and directed a photo shoot for them where parents could come up with costumes that went with some of their Pottery Barn Kids costumes. That was like a really fun project I was working on. But here's the thing. I didn't use my real last name on social media because at that time as a therapist, the message was you need to keep like your identity really private and your work is behind closed doors. And so I was doing this like creative work and this part of my identity that was really fulfilling, but it was something I had to keep like separate. So this part of me was very like disjointed from my role as a therapist. So I graduated, I got my license and I shut that account down because I was like, well, I guess that part of me like ends here. And so then I was starting my private practice figuring out how to reach the clients that I wanted to work with, which at that point through the research and through the experience and the training was a specialization in working with with parents and that transition into becoming a parent. And I was like, wait, I actually know how to reach folks. And this research that I've published, it's going to take years for this to trickle down into Mm -hmm. the – 
true stakeholders, which are the not just the providers, but the parents themselves. And so I don't want to wait while this research just lives in these research journals that eventually will trickle down to the people that really need it, but it takes way too long. And so I very cautiously <laughs> stepped into social media. I mean, at the time, there were not a lot of therapists on Instagram. This was back in 2000, like 20, gosh, let's see, 2013, 2014, 2015. I don't know. It, it, was, it was about a decade ago. And there were not a ton of people on Instagram as licensed therapists or as licensed providers beyond maybe Brene Brown and Esther Perel and and there were a few others. And I got on and I, I connected with a couple other therapists that were on there and just really cautiously, slowly started to share information that I knew, that research that I had done and research that I had read and work that I was doing, but in a way that I still wanted to uphold the integrity of my license and so slowly started to do that. And, and then it sounds that's where you and I initially connected. And so I'm so mm -hmm. glad that I did, but it was, it was really scary and it was, there was a lot of unknowns. And then eventually I, I was also teaching adjunct and I loved teaching therapists and I wanted to connect with therapists in ways and teach them things that I had learned along the way in starting a business. And so I know that you and I, Rachel had also connected in that way because I have a podcast and some courses for therapists on utilizing Instagram while upholding the integrity of your license, right? Like how to market and reach those ideal clients about podcasting and blogging and all these things. So eventually my identity got to coexist, all these different parts of me, but it was, it was fragmented there for a while, as was my identity in the transition to becoming a mom felt really fragmented. But opening up, connecting, getting that support was really very meaningful for me. And so I wanted to provide an opportunity and a space for that for other parents as well. So amazing, Cassidy. And your story is so inspiring. And that is one piece of your story that I wasn't super familiar with was when, like exactly when and how you brought your identity into social media and your professional identity. And that's something that through my training as a therapist has been one of my favorite parts of learning that you can integrate your humanness into your therapist persona as well and actually how powerful that is for people. So I love that you've been a pioneer in that truly. And Jen and I have you to thank for sure for opening up this space for us to be able to do the same as a therapist and as a provider and just being transparent and authentic and the healing power of that for people is so incredible. So thank you for sharing your birth story and your trauma. And yeah, I have so many thoughts. I could go in like a thousand directions, but just thank you. I'm sure so many can relate to everything you went through. Well, thank you for providing the space for me to go back and reflect. It's, it's not often that I get to do that these days. So I appreciate mm -hmm. the opportunity. I would definitely add that we've been so impressed. And again, I think that you're kind of leading the field in 
the component of making this transition to social media really about education. And like you said, upholding your credentials and the ethical components with it. But I think also you have such an artistic skill and you talked, you talked about kind of the creativity that you've been able to express with the Pottery Barn collaboration. And that's something too, that I think we've found so inspiring too. We've been a little bit rejuvenated by having this sort of creative, less formal outlet for something we're passionate about, but also can bridge the gap or merge the lines between your professional work and your personal life and interests. And you've been someone who's been really inspiring and what that can look like. That was scary though, too. So when I first got on Instagram as with my real last name and my like identity as a therapist, I was using my middle name previously. So once I, once I did that, you know, at first it was, I mean, and there, there, I don't even think Instagram stories, reels definitely weren't a thing, right? So it was just Instagram posts. And at first it was like being like, okay, is it okay to, to share this image that feels right? Also aligns with like my value of like beauty. Mm. Like it's a really beautiful image, right? Does that feel okay? Because I'm talking about really hard things. And I eventually got to a place of, I'm thinking about like branding, right? I'm thinking about like Mm. imagery and color and aesthetic. And and I was like, you know, this is something, these are things that I really enjoy. I enjoy creating and I enjoy bringing people in, building that like bridge <laughs> with a brand and aesthetic and color and imagery or and now with reels, right? With something that's like he, brings humor and is really relatable and kind of like acting something out. And then bringing something bringing people in and then and then mm-hmm. bringing the real, right? Like the real stuff, right? Mm-hmm. This is this is going to be really hard, but like I want to catch your eye. And so with with a graphic that brings in like really beautiful illustrations and, right, like colors or now with reels, like music that really touches you or something that makes you laugh. It's Those are values of mine. I value humor. And so I'm going to show up as myself. And I know now that I know from experience now that that also supports bridging a community and bringing in clients mm-hmm. that are the right fit for me. And, and not everybody will be, and that's okay too. There's so many wonderful providers out there with so many different approaches that in the diversity of that is beautiful. And I want folks to find the right person to share the message, right? Because the truth is it's now at this point, now it, there's a lot of therapists, a lot of providers on Instagram, and it's, it's all been said and done before. It just hasn't been said and done now by you. And that's, that's meaningful because there's someone out there probably looking for that message or that education or that strategy or that push to reach out and get support, but they need that message coming from someone like you and the way that you deliver it. So I think that being able to integrate ourselves and allow for creativity and for our values to be reflected in the content we share is is, is, yeah. is really important Definitely. too. And that's also one thing I'd yes. say that you are also breaking down some of those barriers and access to care that aren't just about economic and financial and actually access to a provider, but interest. And some people, they're not going to turn to a journal. They're not going to go online and read a study. And so you're actually breaking down some of those barriers, making the information appealing and digestible. Yeah. Accessibility is one of my values too, along with humor, along with beauty, right? And I think that while not everybody is going to be the right fit from our practice, right? Because they're not based in California or because, you know, we don't we don't take insurance. And so they want to use their insurance. And I think that what we can do here is provide 
that support and education in a way that builds that bridge for someone to get support wherever it is that's going to be the best and most sustainable fit for them. That is deeply important to me. And I think that while social media is such a double-edged sword in so many ways and there's a lot of a lot of things that are problematic about social media a hundred percent, right? And I think that it's great to, it's important to talk about those things too on the app because that's what people are showing up, right? And having difficult relationships relationships with social media. And I think that it also can be a really meaningful place to make some of these connections and access resources. Yeah. Absolutely. One of the things that you mentioned in your story was having historically been in a place of rigidity and perfectionism and how through your professional journey and your personal journey in parallel, you learned to integrate these parts of you that were formerly quite fragmented Mm -hmm. and separated. And Mm -hmm. that is one thing we really want to emphasize in teaching about matrescence and in that journey into motherhood and how where in previous generations, I think mothers have sort of been, and still now, but we're certainly fighting against it more now and able to have a voice about it, but conditioned to really sacrifice these other parts of ourselves that weren't aligned with the cultural or traditional definition of a mother. Mm-hmm. And so I love that you speak to that with your professional journey and how you really have learned to still tap into and utilize the creative part of you and the partner part of you and the therapist and the professional and the mother and the nurturer and the scholar, right? And all these different parts of you, you've been able to integrate. And that is one thing I think Jen and I, as we start this journey with our new business and our new platform, and also still both being pretty new in motherhood, you know, my oldest is four and hers is Scotty's three. And so we're kind of like, we feel like we need some of your wisdom and I'm sure our listeners do too about what advice or encouragement would you have for moms who are starting this process, whether they have a professional piece of it too or not, but just in Mm -hmm. motherhood, how about you balance and integrate all these different parts of you and be able to quote, do it all without (laughs) completely burning out. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the reasons that I love working with parents and in particular new parents in that transition is there really is something about becoming a parent that (laughs) I think it's with the sleep deprivation and it's just with the all of a sudden like your day to day and the groundhog's day and you're so you're you're so much more deeply connected to your body because of what your body just went through or what your body is like experiencing and what the pressure that your body feels, the relationship that all of a sudden like you're seeing this little being that's just it ha- it just is just full of needs, right? Mm-hmm. Full of needs and it doesn't have any part of them yet that that's like trying to protect you from their needs, right? There's just there's so many elements of that experience that just like, breaks us down a bit. It just it really it really made me feel like I was falling apart. But in a but I think there's a way of looking at that where it's falling apart in the sense that all of my parts are becoming so much more visceral to me. And like mm-hmm. they're on the floor, you know, and I'm kind of like looking at this. Oh my gosh, this part of me that I miss or this part of me that feels really triggered by my child's cries and that my child's like intense needs or this like part of me that like now that I don't have as much time feels like 
I don't have the energy for this this relationship that is really like taxing to me anymore. Or like, I want to protect my child from this dynamic or my partner and I looking at each other in the middle of the night without all of our cognitive functioning because we're sleep deprived. And we're just like, things are coming out that we don't have as much space to reconnect and repair that we used to. And it just, oof, all of that. So I kind of feel like we fall apart a bit, but in a way that I think can actually be really healing when all of a sudden I'm looking at these parts of myself and these relationships and these dynamics and getting curious about what is no longer working or what do I want to shift? What do I want to protect my child from? And with the perfectionism as an example, I it really pushed me to reflect on my own relationship with my parents, right? And some of the different pressures that I felt and really just even looking at, say, like my mom, for example, and being like, wait, like I really thought she was perfect. And now I'm really recognizing that's not, I know now, like that's not real. That isn't possible. But and, and, and that she isn't, right? Because then with through through work and through reflecting, I was like, I don't think she ever apologized. And, and then putting her into context, right, as a Hispanic woman in her time, in the career that she had as a lawyer and eventual, eventually becoming a judge, like in the spaces that she had to show up in, I think that she did feel like she had to be perfect. She didn't get a lot of support from the family system because she was the first to pave the way, right? And now there's so much pride. But at the time, she had to be perfect. There was – in order for me to show up in these male-dominated white spaces, there's no room for error. Mm -hmm. And I – now I understand through my work with her that that translated into home, right? And the way that she saw that we – that I as a woman and that she as a woman could be safe and and by safe I mean – financially secure, right? Like safe in these spaces was perfection and achievement and education. And so putting her into context, right? It it really then allowed me to breathe a little that like maybe some of these things that little me was experiencing, right? Like that I could, I could release myself from and I could, I could shift my mindset. I could begin to do things differently for, my daughter, for my children. And and first and foremost, though, I had to begin to relate to these parts of myself in a new way, right? And so that part of me that was the protector part, the perfectionism, the high achieving part, being able to, you know, sit with those parts of myself and look behind at what they were protecting, which is a much more vulnerable version of me who doesn't always know the answer and who sometimes needs help and who makes mistakes. And that work, I think, is the most meaningful part of my experience as a human being and my legacy as a human being, right? Which now looking at it from like a legacy perspective was huge because that part of me that was really anxious and having scary thoughts at the end of the day was actually really afraid of death and being alone or, 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 or yeah. And, and, and legacy is this thing that then lives beyond. And so there was just, there was so much meaningful, beautiful work that happened in my own therapy and that now I am able to support my clients with. And I think that becoming a parent has this, provides this opportunity to begin to look at these parts of ourselves and our relationships and dynamics and our family systems 
in a way that is really vulnerable, but the vulnerability of I'm sleep deprived, I don't want to screw up my kids, like all all of that that comes forward, Mm -hmm. I think creates this space for change, this like opportunity to finally start looking at it and talking about it. It's so profound. Everything you're saying, it's giving me chills. And it's like the beauty and the breakdown, right? Mm -hmm. you, You can't put yourself back together and truly integrate all the parts of you unless you let yourself fall apart. Mm -hmm. And I guess that what you're speaking to is that that does happen in parenthood, right? Because you are so vulnerable and you don't have access to maybe or the ability to engage in the outlets or coping skills that you might otherwise. And you're faced with this human being that just needs everything from you and feels like a reflection of you and a huge trigger of all your own wounds. And maybe that is one of the huge gifts that we have now in this generation, although there is so much pressure involved Mm, in, you know, breaking cycles and reparenting ourselves. I think there also is this huge gift we are given of having permission to Mm, fall apart in parenthood. And as I think it's Glennon Doyle, Merton, her her word, brutal, right? It's beautiful, but it's also brutal. And I think that that's important. It's important to name that there also is being a cycle breaker. It's, it is so meaningful to be, to be the one to look at your family tree, your family system, right? To look at the generation above you and the generation that you're wanting to protect and to say enough, this stops here. And that is, that is, that is really hard work, right? And I don't think that we need to do that alone, Right. And so that's been a big journey also just for my husband and I, right? As with our each of our own experiences and what we both bring, brought into the family that we've created together. And yeah, individual therapy, couples therapy. My 12-year-old has a session, her first session with a therapist today, this afternoon, oh. right? And so it continues. And it's, you know, she she came to me and she said she's been struggling with some anxiety. And, you know, her and I have a really, really, it's wild, right? Like I was just talking about how disconnected I felt from her and how I was turning away from her in those first few Mm -hmm. moments of our life together. And, and Mm -hmm. now how, you know, that love story built and grew and that connection and attachment over the years. And, and now she turns towards me, right? And, And she, and we have really deep conversations and, I and she knows now that she could come and say to me, I would really like to talk to a therapist about this too. And for me to be like, oh yes, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And that it doesn't have to just be me, <laughs> like that she comes mm-hmm. to, that she can access support and that that's okay. And uh and I can I tell you, I probably apologize to my kids several times a day. Like I lose <laughs> can I can I cuss? I was like, yes. I, was like I lose my shit. Please. Like, um, I am frazzled. I am a frazzled human mother being. And, you know, and it's like the other day I lost it on my son. I said something like just, I think I said something along the lines of like, it gets harder than this, dude. You know, like he was complaining about something, you know, just not my best moment. And he looked at me and he said, you're going to be saying the S word to me soon. And I like my eyes got all big. And he and he was like, you're going to be saying sorry. And he like stormed off. And it was like, at first I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. yeah. And, he, and he was right. But like the fact yeah. that in that moment when I lost it, that he could be like, this isn't about me. This is about yeah. you. And you're going to repair. Just like that right there. Oh. Like 
it was a super shitty moment and yeah. you know yeah and I, I remember like thinking like oh gosh like he's gonna be in therapy one day and being like you know my mom said like it gets harder than this you know when I was just you know wanting a snack or something <laughs> but you know what but also in that moment he knew that I would come and say sorry and that's yeah. that's something you know <laughs> oh my gosh oh they just always call us on our shit <laughs> they so do <laughs> But they feel safe enough, to, but he felt safe exactly. enough to do that. And that's huge. That's huge, you know, and the acknowledgement of that. Like, it's not about perfect, like, ever. Mm-mm. And, like, I want to model to them that, like, they don't have to be perfect. And I want to show mm-hmm. them, like, how to repair. Because I will say, it was really hard for me to say <laughs> sorry for a very long time. Like, mm-hmm. It was not something that had been modeled to me. It did not feel comfortable. It was a really tricky part of my relation, my husband and I's relationship. It was really hard for me to say, I'm sorry. But yeah, I think it was awkward. And then I kept doing it because it felt important. And the awkwardness was just a sign that my brain was making a new connection that like, it was like, wait, Mm. we haven't observed this. We aren't used (laughs) to doing this. Like my brain's, I guess let's make a new connection. Ooh, what happens when you do this, you know? And, And now it doesn't feel so awkward anymore, but- yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you bring up your relationship with your husband, and that was one thing we did want to <laughs> briefly touch on. <laughs> well, Jenny, do you want to segue into our question about mental load and invisible load? Oh, no. Yeah, know. the mm-hmm. relationship component of it. I think so. The term mental load or invisible load was new to both of us until entering motherhood, and really until recently. And I think. We, we see a lot of it mostly on social media. I hadn't heard about it like in any medical or professional space, but we've noticed that you're someone who's talking a lot about it from a relational aspect. And that's something that's been really helpful to both of us because obviously that's where that situation shows up a lot. And I think maybe we could even take a step back and for listeners who aren't very familiar with the term, but you could go over and describe like what that even means and from a relationship perspective to what it looks yeah. like. Yeah, there's there's the visible load. And in our home, actually, my husband does a lot of the visible load of things. And so mm-hmm. he does the laundry, he does the grocery shopping, he does the cooking, he does the dishes. And it's, it's a literal visible load of dishes, a load of laundry, and it's a task that has to be done to run a household, right? With humans in it. And <laughs> and then there's the invisible mental load, right? So that's like all of those running tabs that are that I I carry more of, right? Like him and I have done a lot of work around this. So we actually have made the invisible more visible, right? So these are now visible loads that he's aware that I carry, but um, for a while was invisible. And I would find myself feeling quite resentful that like I was the one thinking about, okay, like there are social lives and like making the connections with parents and what day is library day? So my kid needs to have the book, right? Like in the backpack and what are you know, what are the appointments that they need, we need to be scheduling, right? Also the kind of emotional, like relational load and being the one that's spending time with the kids talking about their feelings and about like their social life, about school. It's just, it's all those running tabs (laughs) that are running in the background and taking up space and energy. 
And I just I just shared a funny reel. We just had those two weeks when everybody's home and it's like in the holidays and that week between if you celebrate Christmas, Christmas and New Year's. And it's just like a wild week, right? We're just like, what day is it? And like oh, probably sick, like someone's probably sick. And yeah. And so I just I, I shared a reel recently that was like talking about that week. And and in it, like there's a lot of moments where I'm acting out frustration, right? Where it's it's the mess in the house, right? It's the dog barking during nap time. It's I'm like trying to get space and I can't because everybody's home all the time. And in, at the end of the reel, I walk into the bedroom and my husband's <laughs> on the Peloton and you like see me like slowly start to lose it. And then there's like an explosion, right? So, I mean, these things are like actually really fun for me to act out. They're actually quite therapeutic to act out. Like my husband's yeah. in on it. Like we're like, we're doing this, we're creating these things together. And I say that because sometimes people don't have that context and they watch it and they're like, well, why don't you talk to him? I'm like, oh, yeah. guys, like I am I'm a therapist. I, we are. <laughs> I'm just acting out what happens sometimes. Anyway. It's very real. Yeah. And so, and then afterwards we get to laugh together about it, right? So, but yeah. And so it's this real thing. And I really, I want to name Eve Rotsky here. She's a colleague. She she wrote the book Fair Play. When I say that my husband and I have done the work and we have made this visible, like she actually has a card deck that lists like just all of the tasks, the invisible and the visible. And it's like a, it's a quote unquote game, but it's a process that you can go through with your partner to identify who's caring what and making space so that both of you also have space for what Mm -hmm. Eve would call your unicorn space where you get some space. And (laughs) she's got another book called Unicorn Space. And, um, and yeah, she was on my podcast Holding Space where we talked about this together and her work was game changing because Mm -hmm. she's pulled together all the research. She's given terms for this. She's made it visible and yeah, it's it's something that a lot of couples don't go into parenting having talked about, right? You know, maybe before kids, like you guys, you know, division of labor was whatever it was and maybe it worked because, you know, there wasn't like other human beings to take care of. And maybe it really wasn't working, but they're just, you know, it wasn't so obvious that it wasn't working or so painful that it wasn't working. And then we get into parenting and we bring in like our baggage from our upbringing and the homes we grew up in, what was what was modeled to us, right? So we kind of might just find ourselves without even discussing it, getting into certain roles, carrying certain loads, right? Or And it's not just, oh, I'm carrying all this and he doesn't, right? And like I'm mm-hmm. resentful of him, which is part of it. But there's also yeah. there are also elements of like, I was controlling certain things. And so he was like, either he would help and like, I'd get annoyed that he wasn't doing it right, right? Or he didn't help and I was getting annoyed that he wasn't doing it at all. And so there was just this dynamic that needed to be addressed and be communicated on. And like we were communicating, but just not verbally communicating, right? Like in an effective (laughs) way. And so because people say he's not communicating or she doesn't communicate, we're always communicating. Sometimes the like turning away from, right? Or the shutting down or the eye roll or the facial expression is communication, right? So we're always communicating. It just was finding more effective ways of communicating with each other and understanding each other's parts that were getting activated in these moments. Um, and 
yeah, that that was really powerful work for both him and I that we did together and that I also support couples with now too. And I I think I was always so scared to be like, I'm a human being that makes mistakes and like struggles and went to therapy mm-hmm. and benefits. And it's like, you know, I I actually believe that the, those those are the parts of me that make me a really great therapist because yeah. I get it. <laughs> I'm human too and not afraid to show up as a human being that also has training and specialization and has done the research and right like all of the above. But trust me, in my own marriage, I show up as human being Cassidy, right? Is a parent as And that's well, one of the things know, too so. I think you call out a lot on social media, but you talked about with Eve was kind of that toxic messaging that's so ingrained in us that my way is the right way, or it's going to take more time to explain it, or there's really this one way to do it. But it's subconscious. I mean, at at first, a lot of that. And so we're not communicating it other than through dirty looks and frustration. And so I think you helped us really kind of recognize some of those unhelpful thoughts. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so, it's so meaningful though, to go out there and share these things and then to hear like the, the, get to the the DMS or the comments or, or in session, right? Like just to have access to so many other people's experiences and stories and to be like, wow, we are really not alone. There's so many moments when I'm with a client and I just had a session when I'm like, oh gosh, I really wish I could have introduced you to the client I just saw because I think one, you guys would make really great friends like because I think they just would. And because you're not alone in this and you're, and they're sharing what happens behind closed doors. And I just, I think that there's, there's ways, some creative ways to share on social media and then to dive deeper here through the podcast platform where we can begin to share those things and people can begin to feel less alone. And that's my hope. If that's if that's part of my legacy in any which way, then I will feel so so much meaning around that and 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 joyful around absolutely, that. It absolutely is. And we'll be Okay, Cassidy. So we have a couple just quick questions, just kind of brain dump first thing that comes to mind when I ask you these and we ask okay. everyone that is gonna come on our podcast these. So fill in the blank. I didn't expect motherhood to be so mm. <laughs> exhausting (laughs) like um uh yeah it's like I just thought that I was like gonna have all like the energy and the bandwidth and I can get energy and I can get bandwidth but I need like margins for myself Mm -hmm. in order to recuperate you know I didn't expect that like the part of me that like the introvert part of me like I am an extrovert but I've feel like I have introverted needs that I didn't expect and was tricky for me to figure out how to get space for and ask for and carve out, but it's exhausting and that's okay. Like I can find energy. I just have to take care of myself to recoup that energy so I can be present in the way that I want to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's one thing I love about your, how you shared your story too, is that you're so transparent about it not being what you expected at first (laughs) and there can be so much expectation going into it that I know for me personally I can speak for myself I was like kind of told it will all just fall into place it will all just make sense it will come naturally right the the your baby will just know how to latch that Mm. didn't happen yeah your baby will breathe when he's born that didn't happen (laughs) you know and then it's what's wrong with me because I thought this was all just going to happen and fall into place and I'm way more exhausted and burnt out than I thought and so just normalizing that and again going back to that just permission to to fall apart to then and I'd say that too you just um, talked about it earlier but the the visceral component of 
of motherhood and the Mm. visceral component of some of those tasks that like, it isn't just the list of to-do items. It's that in motherhood, so many of those items carry so much emotional weight that is like a different type of fatiguing. Oh, yeah, really, they, they really do. A hundred percent. And just like also overstimulating. Like I just need sometimes to not be touched and for it to be quiet and to get back into my body and like my nervous system to feel like regulated again. And that's, mm-hmm. it's, that's hard, but it's yeah. so important. Okay. One last question. Then we'll wrap up. Uh, one thing I wish more new moms knew or knew about. Mm-hmm. I think that the power of taking the meaningful risk of opening up. Like that was the game changer for me. It was just like letting someone in to some of the intrusive, scary thoughts I was having specifically um, that opened up the door to then me opening up about the birth experience, about my marriage struggling, about um, some of the views of like my relationships that I really needed to begin get more curious about and and take a closer look at. And I think it was just that meaningful risk of opening up. And it feels like a risk because it feels really, really vulnerable. But it was meaningful risk. So anxiety said, don't do it. But but then I reminded anxiety, oh, this is actually a really meaningful risk, okay? And so Mm -hmm. taking that part with me to say, hey, I'm having these thoughts and they're like really disturbing and distressing. And for someone else to be like, oh my gosh, you too, right? Or you're not alone. Let's get support, right? Well, we appreciate you so much opening up with us today. And yeah, I mean, again, you sharing your story, you're really creating that that ability for the rest of us to open up. And then like you said, to kind of approach all of it with more curiosity if we're willing to recognize it. So we can't thank you enough for (laughs) that work that you're doing for for us, for other moms. We mentioned before too, that you're doing it all. You have your private practice, you have different teaching platforms, you have your podcast, your awesome social media. So before we go, can you just let people know where's the best place to find you online? Yeah. Yeah. So Instagram at Dr. Cassidy, um, my podcast on all, you know, places you can stream podcasts is called Holding Space. And then my website, drcassidymft.com, and we provide – I have a group practice, and we provide therapy for parents in the state of California. And so, yeah, I think that the website's the best place to go because then you can find all the things from there. So drcassidymft.com. Thanks so much for tuning in with us today. If you enjoyed this episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. Your feedback means the world to us and helps us know which conversations you are needing the most. And we'll keep bringing you new episodes every week, so hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Also, be sure to check out the show notes for any links or resources that we mentioned. We're on this journey with you, so be sure to find us on the gram and TikTok. Plus, go to bloomafterbaby.com and grab our free guides on all things motherhood created just for you. Breathe, be well, and keep